0: Well, good morning sinners, good morning saints, a little brisk outside. Are you frozen that you can't respond to that, or what's what's going on? Yeah, it's a little brisk outside. Uh, before I, I get going, I want to draw your attention to our mini church app that has made life easy for many people, and uh, if you're a techie person, all you got to do is pull out your phone, go to your apps, and simply download church center app and follow the instructions and what happens then it's basically just an easy gateway to all our events so you can simply register online for any uh, event also uh, so like propel women's upcoming the ladies need to know who's coming so you, we would appreciate if you would register if you're making your way here also if you haven't set up any authorized giving Um, and you want to use your credit card uh, or your debit card, you can do so through this app. And it also gives you a whole list of all your donations to Seoul. And so if you have any questions, uh, feel free to just contact the the Welcome Center or uh, you can call the office and we can help you out in that area. So before we get further, can we uh, just stop And just take a moment and just listen. Now, you're going to hear crunkling of paper bags. It'll probably drive some people absolutely ballistic. But uh, you don't have to do it when I say it. I'm just throwing it out there. But uh, let's just take a moment. Let's just pause our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. And just be ready to hear what God has to say, shall we? Father God, may everything thought, everything spoken, and everything felt simply be best by you. So if you're our guest today, we are concluding our series uh, entitled God in the Movies. And without question, it's kind of hilarious because I'll get somebody say, you know, Jerry, why are we looking at movies here at church? And why aren't you studying the Bible? And, you know, as time has gone on in the past, we've done this, reports would come back to me that people would be saying, oh, all they do is watch movies in that church. Well, if it's going through your mind, I'm glad you asked the question, because the reality is that movies and modern-day TV shows are literally the pulpit that serves parables to our culture today. And the actors and the directors are actually the preachers in these pulpits, and they have a message. Many films, because uh, uh, they adopt a storyline, and when you actually look at the storyline in films and in TVs... It sets up a problem that resolves itself, and it actually bears some resemblance and some shape to the Christian story with its motifs of creation and fall and redemption. And what we do is that we look at movies then, and we try to attempt to discover where God and the stories intersect. And Jesus used the power of story all the time when he taught, and he'd say like the things like the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell another story. And Jesus connected uh, with the culture on a level that the audience could understand. And he used stories and he used parables to get the message across. And what he used for illustrations were things that they were mostly exposed to already. And so he used farming and agrarian examples. And he talked about sheep and he talked about vines. And he was relating the truth of God's gospel to things that they understood around them. And so here at Seoul, we try to do the same things, but we, we do it with movies. And in the summertime, we're going to start doing it with music. So, Jesus connected with his culture. In fact, when you look at the media, the media itself actually shapes our perspective on the world, and we get our world view one pixel at a time. Now, we all watch what's going down in the States. We all watch what's going on, even in our own government. We all watch what's happening in Venezuela, in China, in Russia, and all these other areas. We are getting fed stories. Now, I'm not here to tell you about fake news or anything else like that. I'm just telling you that we are getting fed story. And uh, let me point out that just because I use a movie... Doesn't mean that I'm endorsing the language or the behavior of the characters in the movie. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. But as I think of that and I look at Scripture, I don't think we endorse the behavior of all the characters in Scripture either. The Bible tells us that King David had an affair with a lady and then killed her husband. Well, I just want you to know that here at Seoul, we don't endorse that kind of behavior. All right? Just in case you didn't know. Uh, There was a behavior of a woman named Jael, and she drove a tent peg through another person's head. Again, something not endorsed by soul, all right? Uh, Not to mention the Apostle Paul wrote about different cultic religions uh, in Corinth that embraced the idea of having sex with prostitutes as a part of the worship. Again, not going to happen, not endorsed here at Soul Sanctuary, and we don't include that as a part of our worship experience on a Sunday morning. So there are a lot of things, even in Scripture, that we don't condone the behavior of, and I'm just putting it out there, right? But today we're looking at a movie that's based on true events, and I love movies that are based on true stories. Donald Miller said that all great stories are about survival, either physical, emotional, relational, or spiritual. A story about anything else won't captivate an audience, and how true is that? So Hidden Figures told the almost untold story of three African-American women who were beyond brilliant. And uh, the movie follows the stories of Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan, and Mary Jackson. And these women, all African-American mathematicians, they worked for NASA. Each of them are gifted with brilliant minds, and they were just as capable as their colleagues at making vital contributions to the program at NASA. But they were held down because of the color of their skin and their gender. And the movie opens in a time when the United States was engaged in segregation between blacks and whites. It was common throughout the country, separating the races in the schools, on buses, in restaurants, in libraries, in restrooms, virtually every area of public life. Watch this. (laughs) What a brain. My goodness. Counting prime. My goodness. I need to start it off, by. I can only imagine how much it must actually hurt and anger our Father God to see his children marginalized, overlooked, and mistreated by racism. These women uh, courageously crossed gender, race, and professional lines, and their brilliance and their big dreams firmly cemented them in history as true American heroes. And there is much racism and bigotry that actually causes us to grieve when you watch the movie. And there are moments as well to feel proud at the same time. Because these women, they stepped up. They stepped up their God given talents and abilities, no matter what the people around them thought. They did that to reach their destiny. And actually, when you're watching the film, you cannot help but find yourself cheering for them, wanting to see them succeed when everything else seems stacked up against them. And these women went through sometimes um, sometimes unspeakable things in order to reach what they deserved. The following clip is where Mary Jackson was not only trying to be the first female engineer in NASA, but also the first non-white engineer as well. And one of the mountains that she had to climb, not a hurdle, one of the mountains she had to climb was to get further education and recognition. And the only way she could do that was by going to a certain school to get that certificate, which was an all-white school. And there's so much brokenness and there's so much discrimination that was happening in the world around them and for Mary, in order for her to succeed, she, she had to move forward and she had to step out in courage. She had to go to a courthouse. She had to plead her case for why she should be given the opportunity to take those classes. Now watch what she does. There are so many times in life where we have to step out and we have to do something courageous. We have to. Mary had to fight a law that should have never been written in the first place, but still required the courage for her to stand there and put herself on the line. In front of the judge, but publicly as well as everybody in front of that courthouse, God actually calls all of us to step out of our comfort zone. Whether it's to call call out and fight against injustice, or to go out and to take risks for God, Jesus never promised a life without struggle. That's something that our culture doesn't understand. It's something that our culture doesn't want to hear. We want we just want to be happy, you know. God, Jesus just wants me to be happy. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, he said very opposite. He said, "In, in this world, you will have." trouble and then he sort of it's buffed up in Hebrews where God backs it up by saying I will never leave you nor forsake you in Joshua when he was uh, I think about nine or ten times in the book of Joshua God speaks to him he says you know have I not commanded you be strong and courageous don't be afraid don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go And as believers, I think we need to start taking comfort in in these words and live by them. You know, racism is something that's there. In the New Testament, Peter himself wasn't sure that the gospel was for everyone. When you read it, you see that. You know, he wasn't sure that it included anyone who wasn't a Jew, who wasn't a member of his own race. But in Acts 10, God begins to open Peter's eyes, and he says, uh, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And so Peter comes away from that experiencing, knowing that God sees and treats everyone the same, regardless of their ethnicity or the color of their skin. And so let me be honest this morning. We all struggle with bias, don't we? Hello, sinners. At least you can be honest, right? Because the saints can all lie. We all struggle with bias. Many of us don't like certain people because of the jobs they have, the amount of money they make. They make too much, or maybe they make too little. Or maybe it's The country they're from, or maybe it's the color of their skin, or the way they vote, or their gender. What's the bias that you struggle with? What change can you make to begin viewing those people the way that God does? I like Mary's challenge be the first, Your Honor. Be the first. And I think that that's a challenge to us today. Uh, To do what we know is right, even when nobody else is doing it. We're all in the position to be first for someone when you think about it. It could be at work, it could be at school, it could be in your family, it could be in an organization. And I actually think this is something that goes beyond race. Maybe you could be the first in your family to break the cycle of divorce. Divorce. Maybe you could be the first in your family to go the rest of your life sober because alcohol has ruined your family. Maybe you're excited because you're the first in your family to actually start going to church. And you're the first to find that authentic relationship with Jesus. Maybe you were the first so that you could go and and, and lead some of the rest of your family to Jesus. Because if not you, well then Who? Maybe at your work, maybe you see injustice. Maybe you see sexual harassment. Maybe you see other inequalities, and, and maybe you should be the first to write that memo, or send that email, or make that policy change, or confront the offender. When you watch this movie, it evokes so many different emotions. And it's actually hard for us, for many of us, to grasp uh, What has taken place even in our own lifetime, but that there are places where our black brothers and sisters would have to actually use a different bathroom, drink from a different water fountain, ride in the back of the bus just because of the color of their skin. This is so contrary to the heart of God. There's a scene where Dorothy says to her boys, and she's actually riding in the back of the bus after they just had a confrontation in the library. And she goes, just because it's the way doesn't make it right. And that's so true on so many levels. Consider all the areas that you live and work in. What, it, what kind of oppression or discrimination have you seen? Have you witnessed that? Maybe that you're just so used to, maybe it's time to see what God sees. Galatians says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is nor male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So racism, classism, sexism, we're all crucified on the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. By his resurrection power. And sometimes I wonder if our society forgets that. You know, we see the spirit of these three ladies in this movie who weren't going to be held back by small, petty thinking. They decided that they weren't going to allow other people's opinions define their destiny they go and they stepped into the more, into the more that god had for them working as mathematicians and scientists and they were computers before there were computers and their faith in god is portrayed authentically throughout their movie their deep friendship with one another Fuel this desire to overcome every obstacle in their path. And it's powerful to watch them decide to stand up and say enough. And it encourages us not to sit back and to allow injustice to continue. We find ourselves cheering for Catherine as she, well, you know, just watch this. I can only imagine how much it must actually hurt and anger our Father God, to see his children marginalized, overlooked and mistreated by racism. Racism and the heart of God does not mesh. You know, at Seoul, we strive to be a place that fully embraces love and accepts everyone, no matter of their ethnic background. We all pee the same color here. That's funny. Heaven's going to be a place where all nations are represented because Jesus died for people of every color, of every language, of every tribe, and of every nation. The passage of Scripture that comes to mind as I watch Al Harrison, played by Costner, respond to the injustice around him, was found in James. It says, but if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James 4.17 goes on to say, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Love is more than just words, obviously. It is action. And seeing this movie made me wonder how many other untold stories there are out there. How many other people's accomplishments get glossed over or how many other people's work is credited to somebody else because that someone else has a position or a title and they willingly accept the credit. So in struggling to pick a movie and do it, you always have to find some sort of other comparison without Scripture. And, and the, the truth is, Scripture is filled with numerous different hidden figures of their own. And there's one that I want to sh- share with you today, found in the Old Testament, and it's another woman by the name of Jehosheba. And it's found in 2 Kings 11, and she was a princess. She was also married to a priest named uh, uh Jehoiada. And her dad was the king of the southern kingdom, and his name was Jehoram. Isn't that great? Now, Jehoram had a wife named Athaliah. Now, you can get all these names yourself in 2 Kings 11, and you can just look through it. But to give you an idea of who Athalia is, her stepmom was the evil queen Jezebel. Alright? That's like having Disney's Corolla de Vil for a mom, basically is what we're talking about. So, Athaliah was probably a stepmother to uh, Je- uh, Jehoshabah, and while Athaliah, she had a son named him, uh, Ahaziah, I love Hebrew, uh, who became king uh, after Athaliah's husband, Jehoram, died. So, Ahaziah reigns for one year, and then he's killed, just wonderfully. Like, and on his death, Athaliah decides to make herself queen, so she now steps in. But she now also orders the death of all of her grandchildren, Corolla de Ville. So she wants all of her grandchildren to be slaughtered, so that her queenship can now be uncontested. It's all in Scripture. You can read it here in 2 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. And, uh, um, but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. So they kidnapped this kid. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah so that he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Othelia lived and ruled. That's interesting. So here this grandmother goes on a murderous rampage. Jehoshaphat takes her nephew, Joash, and hides him for six plus years. How do you hide somebody for that long from a queen? There was obviously a sacrifice on her part to do this. She had to give up a lot. She wanted to preserve the royal bloodline. She wanted her brother's heir, her brother's son, the king who had just been killed before the wacko mum took over. She wanted him to become the next king. The next part of the chapter tells us that a plan was devised then to go public uh, with this now seven-year-old Joash. Now they're going to take this seven-year-old, they're going to put him on the throne and crown him as king. And he was crowned and eventually the evil Athaliah was killed. So why is this daring rescue uh, uh, so special and strategic and important? I don't know if you've ever heard about this story. You know, if every grandchild was killed, as Athaliah ordered, there wouldn't have been a descendant to, of King David to sit on the throne that was promised by God. That promise occurred in in, uh, in Samuel, in Isaiah. We see it fulfilled in, in 1 Kings 9. God said that a descendant of David would sit on the throne. If Athaliah would have succeeded, none of that would have ever happened. And so Jehoshaphat's actions were part of God's plan to keep his promise to the house of David. Isn't that interesting? Just out of the blue, this little random portion of scripture, and how important were her actions of that day? She single-handedly saved King David's last surviving descendant. She was part of that preservation of God's promises. And I think that that's pretty cool when you take a time and look at it. And it's sort of cool. It's kind of like being, you know... Part of the team that sends a man into the orbit of the earth, like the movie we 're watching, she had a critical component. she loved God, obviously her husband was a priest in the temple she married somebody else who loved God and and wanted to influence a nation in a godly path and even though Jehosheba had the, a negative upbringing, obviously, even though her parents weren 't believers, even though they worshiped false gods, even though they actually did wicked things she She chose to be first. She chose to make godly decisions and to position herself in a godly future. Joash had been under her care for six years. And I'm sure during that time, those six years, they began to influence and they began to teach him. Why? Because he was in the temple. They would teach him about who God was. And now Joash becomes king at the age of seven. And when you begin to see his history, they, he, he begins to reestablish the worship of God in Judah. And all those who followed him as kings were then good kings. When you're willing to do the right thing, even though it's risky, and you do it at the right time, God can actually change the trajectory of history in and through your actions. Think about that for a second. When you're willing to do it, God can use it. You know, Jehoshaphat's name gets two honorable mentions in Scripture. She, she's mentioned in Second Kings, she's mentioned in Second Chronicles. You know, it's something that we can easily overlook if we don't take the time to see it. But her courage and, and quick thinking preserves David's bloodline where Jesus is descended from. That's the critical component of her story. You know, when we look at it at our own personal application, what kind of promises might God want to preserve through and in your own life? We talked about legacy last week. What's the legacy that you want to live on? What practices may He want to reestablish or preserve in and through your life? Your faithfulness, your influence over people, your legacy once you leave this earth. Great Reformation can often begin with just one person one person to stand up, one person to blow the whistle, one b- person to call out and to make a change. King Joash went on to make repairs to the temple. He was a di- diplomat, this story tells us. He even pre- t- uh, dissuades the king of Assyria from attacking Jerusalem. And for a while, things were really good for the southern kingdom. There, there, there is power, people, in one life. And one person, like Jehoshaphat who is preserving her nephew's life, preserved that bloodline which Jesus descends through. You can't always know the contribution uh, your efforts will make down the road. And again, I refer back to legacy. And if you missed last week's, go back online and watch it. Stay faithful. Stay courageous. Stay prepared for the moment that could make or break literally an entire generation. Because God is looking for people who are willing to do His work without concern for who's going to get the glory. In the end, doesn't all the glory belong to God anyway? And there are many hidden figures that turn out to be people who put others on the map or help others achieve greatness and their God-given callings. There are many figures in our society, hidden figures, these lone souls that we don't know about, we sometimes never find out about, that are so responsible for actually changing the landscape, especially in evangelical Christianity. Edward Kimball. Everybody knows Edward, right? Everybody, we all know Edward. He was a salesman in a shoe store in Chicago. One day he's a believer. One day he actually felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to share with his co worker the good news of Jesus. And he did. That co worker gave his life to Christ, and then he went on. He quit the shoe sales business and he went on to win countless souls for the kingdom. His coworker's name was D. L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. Evangelist. Henrietta Mears, she taught Sunday school in 1928 at First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. She had a class that was from anywhere from 400 to 4,000 students over the years, and she went on to found the Gospel uh, Light Publishing Company. All, they say that all the people that were in her Sunday school teaching were impacted by her, and 400 of her students actually went into full-time ministry. Of those 400, there were two of them by the name of Bill. One was Bill Bright. He's the guy who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. The other one was Billy Graham. These men, actually these three men, some of the greatest evangelicals of today, who had a message who transformed and changed our world. How? Because of a hidden figure. When we go back to the movie, and Catherine Johnson entered that task group, she was not only the non-secretary of females, she was also the only black person in the room. And the fact of the matter is there are some people in our midst today who have experienced that level of discrimination that we just witnessed in that last clip. Many of us have not. But also, many of us have felt excluded or made to feel like an other, have we not, on some level, at some point. When was the last time you felt excluded? When was the last time you were actually discriminated against? How does that experience shape how you view and relate people who have experienced significant discrimination? Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Maybe you need to be the first. Some of you have the power and the authority to leverage And leverage it for those who don't at your office, at your school, your employment, wherever. You have the ability to open the door to make somebody else's dream come true. Think about that. In the movie, Catherine gets to be the first. She's constantly being forced to do her calculations with second-hand information. She's finding that she's always behind, and she begins to request to be in all the briefings so that she can have the up-to-date information that would help her with all her calculations. She keeps asking to attend, and she keeps being denied. I think we see in the movie about three, four times this process taking place. Until this. Watch this. So feeling the pressure of a the looming launch date and the growing realization of all the obstacles. Her boss finally has enough, walks her into a meeting where no African-American woman has ever been before. And she schools them. That's beautiful. Who are the hidden figures in your life who you could help show their talents, that you could help give an opportunity or even rise to the top? We can all do this. We can all look and take notice of the hidden figures in our lives and in our community. We can all leverage whatever position and power we have to give opportunity to those who have a lot to offer the world but have no way of getting it to them. Because we never will know the eternal impact that one simple act can make. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and doesn't have have no one to help them up. We know this works because at some point in our lives, somebody has handed us the chalk, have they not? Has somebody not handed you the chalk? Somebody has given us a chance. Maybe somebody has helped us succeed. And it could have been your parents. It could have been a teacher. It could have been a coach. It could have even been a boss. When is a time someone in your life gave you a chance? They handed you the chalk to help you succeed. When is it the time for you to pass that on to somebody else? When is it the time for you to take that chalk that you were given and turn around and put it in somebody else's hand that needs that advantage? Because that becomes a beautiful thing. And so today as we sit and we reflect, some of you have been the object and the targets of acts of racism, of sexism, or some other injustices in your life. The Bible does say to love the Lord and pray for your enemy and to do good those who hate you sounds like a trite answer, but I hear, you hear and you know it's very hard. Maybe today you just need to say, God, give me your grace. Give me your grace, God, not to fight back. Help me not to be known, or help me to be known as a person of strong character, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience. Help me not to become bitter by the pain. But better through your son Jesus Christ maybe that's your prayer as you leave this morning or maybe for some of us here today we need to actually pray for forgiveness for our own hidden racism and our own hidden attitudes towards people of different races like the Apostle Peter some of us need a heart of conversion a moment where we actually say I now realize God treats everybody on the same basis no matter what race they belong to I want to treat people like God treats people. Maybe for some of us, we just got to say, God, will you forgive me? I'm sorry for demeaning people who have made, you have made, when you think about it, in his very image. People that Jesus died for. Parents, I speak to you. Again, I applaud you for those who bundled their kids and brought them in today. Don't be afraid to teach your kids that racism is not only foolish, it's sinful. Help your child know that they need to stand against whatever they, whenever they see it. They need to stand up. They need to be vocal. And it's not a small problem. It's not funny. And it's not okay with God. parents, that comes from you, that racism and the heart of God are completely at odds. And finally, maybe today, just my prayer as your pastor is to continue to pray for our church. My prayer for Soul Sanctuary is truly a church where God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, a place where every tribe, every nation, every language and race. My prayer is that a watching world will look with amazement at the hearts of people who come in through these doors that are transformed by Jesus and that they'll say, these these people love each other. I pray that we will be some of the people who will be the first in this world. To recognize that everybody has a name, everybody has a story, and every story matters to God. That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for you. That's my hope that you would pray for us. And maybe you're here today and you are thinking in your minds that you struggle with a lot of what I was talking about today. Maybe you just feel that you need a change. Or maybe you're not sure about Christianity. You have a bunch of questions about God and Jesus and the church. Or maybe you feel like you're just even drowning. You haven't heard a word I say. Everybody can just simply take out their phone when you do, and when I begin to pray, the phone number will come up on the screen, and you just simply text the word soul to that screen. That's our pastoral care phone. We'll respond to you within 24 hours. We'll contact you personally. We'll answer your questions. We will do our best to simply walk alongside you, to do whatever we can for you. We're not going to creepy stalk you. You don't have to worry about that. We're just saying that we care about your spiritual well-being. We want to help guide you in this journey we call life. I'll guarantee that somebody will contact you. And so if you need and you feel a need to respond, as I pray, just text the word soul to the number on the screen. Let's pray. Father, we began this, this time together quietly, just listening, breathing, hearing our own breath in and out. And so I can't help but think that we come to you today with great humility and with great thanks. We thank you so much that you reveal yourself to us and that you disclose to us who you are through the scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can know you and that we can love you. We thank you that you continue to give life and that you continue to conquer death. And for some of us, we're barely hanging on to this idea because so much around us is pointing to the opposite direction. And so today, God, enable us just to cling to the shards that we have. God, I thank you that You've given us the cross for forgiveness. You've given us the open tomb for hope. And we thank you for Jesus who forgives us and restores us and gives us that hope. And so I pray that that we would be able to experience the power of the streams of living water welling up within our own lives, that which we would call your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be people who love to study, who love to read, but first and foremost, our devotion to your scriptures, it would be there, but we would love Jesus and love the scriptures, and then we would act on what you have put in our hearts. So may we leave this place being real and practical, with humility, with simplicity, and with affection. Because you are good, you are big, you are deep, you are wide, you are magnificent. And on this Sunday, we want to worship you and acknowledge you as the giver of everything that is good. So please, my prayer is that not only would you meet us in our pain, and our despair, in our questioning, in our doubt, but also in our joy and speak to us and keep reminding us that Jesus is risen. In his wonderful name I pray. Amen. Stand with me. Turn around and give a fist bump to somebody. High five, shake a hand, whatever you want to do. If they're coughing, sneezing, or wheezing, give them a fist bump. And if you're really open and you want to give a hug, you have my permission. I'll just continue to be sarcastic. That's my form of hugging. This is family. We need more people. More people need Jesus. Jesus. I want to encourage you to speak out for what is right. I want to encourage you to love your neighbor as yourself. I want to encourage you to start bringing people. Next week, we're back into Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. My favorite topic, divorce. That's sarcasm, just throwing it out there. But that's where we're picking it up on. Maybe you have people going through divorce. Maybe they need to hear a message of healing. Bring Somebody because we need to get the word out and it comes from all of us to do that. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here it is. Go now and make a difference in this perilous and broken world. May you all hold each human life in the same regard as your own. May you bring serenity and peace to the lives of others. And may God's loving spirit go with you and guide you this day and always. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And Be blessed. We'll see you next week, folks.